Let us pray. Once again, our God, we come before you requesting that you would help us and bless us as we study through this epistle. Very profound as all of your word is. And we are quite confident that there will be far, far more beautiful truths that will remain hidden than what we might even bring out. We're confident that there will be many things that we've studied that we will forget to bring out as well. Nevertheless, you know the audience. You know what we need. We ask that you would guide and direct that what is spoken not only is honorable to according to the word, not only glorifying you, but it be beneficial to those who hear. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we take up this chapter, I want to, first of all, uh, read the, the chapter. It's a short chapter. And uh, we want to just read it to kind of get the continuity of it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. The outline of this chapter, uh, basically I have it under four different parts. Uh, verses 1 through 3, has to do 
with fellowship with God and His Son. Verse 4 is fullness of joy. Verses 5 through 7 is walking in the light. And verses 8 through 10 is dealing with sin. When John wrote this first epistle, there was a lot going on in that day that we spoke somewhat about Gnostic doctrine that was going on. But this chapter opens like John's Gospel opened with profound thoughts about God. And though only ten verses are in this chapter, each subject, such subjects are introduced as the beginning of life, the Word, the second person of God, life, eternal life, fellowship, fullness of joy. There's a lot said in those three verses. In short, the chapter, uh, this short chapter, uh, fellowship is listed four times showing the primary thing in which the Lord would have us consider. Notice he said that John said, we have fellowship with God. We're writing this that you might have fellowship with us. And if we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we don't have the truth and we're liars. And if we do walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. I want to impose on your patience again. I want to read uh, John Gill's summary of this chapter and then I want to read <coughs> from a man that I doubt that any of you have ever heard of, uh, a minister by the name of Elder Cecil Sandiford. I met Brother Sandiford years ago, probably in the 60s. And uh, he was not well known, but uh, he wrote a commentary. I know on the New Testament, I don't remember whether the Bible or not, and he lived down in, uh, uh, in the delta of Mississippi. But first of all, John Gill said of the chapter, In this chapter, the apostle gives a summary of the gospel and the evidence of it. And from thence presses to a holy life and conversation. The sum of the gospel is Jesus Christ, who is described both as God and man. 
His deity is expressed by being that which was from the beginning. The word of life. Life. And eternal life. His humanity by being the life manifested in the flesh, of which the apostles had full evidence by the several senses of seeing, hearing, and handling, and so were capable of bearing witness to the truth thereof. And the end had in view in giving this summary, evidence, and testimony, were that the saints wrote unto might have fellowship with the apostles, whose fellowship was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that their joy on hearing these things might be full. And the amount of the message declared by them was that God is light or a pure and holy being, and that there is no darkness of sin or unholiness in Him. Therefore, all such that pretend to communion with Him and live a sinful course of life are liars. Only such have fellowship with Him and with His Son, whose blood cleanses them from all sin, who live holy lives and conversations. Not that it is to be expected that men should be clear of being of sin in this life, only that they should, as often as they sin, be humbled for it and confess it before God who will forgive them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. But as for those who affirm they have no sin in them or any done by them, they are self-deceivers, the truth of grace is not in them, nor the Word of God, and they make Him a liar. And then Brother Sanderford gave this. This letter was written by the Apostle John, the same disciple who leaned upon the breast of our Savior at the Last Supper of our Lord and His disciples. It seems to have been written as a sequel to the gospel record that bears his name and to which the first three verses of this epistle seems to refer. The entire letter is written in a very loving manner and points out those things which identifies God's children as well as some that differentiate between them and the wicked. In it, John also reminds us that Jesus will come again, and when He does, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. He cautions us against every spirit and tells us how to distinguish between the spirit that is of God and the one that is not. The principal purpose of this letter seems to be the comfort to be the comfort and assurance of the believer, and it is accomplished with stern warnings against false pretenders.
Alright, verses 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That which was from the beginning. Much is spent in trying to figure out the beginning of a lot of things. Some people spend a lot each year trying to figure out their ancestry. They want to go back to the beginning and figure out where they came from and and all of this and all of that. Uh, A lot of people try to figure out the, the beginning of different countries and states and cities and different organizations and religions. We find that our society and our government is still trying to figure out the origin of man. You know, where did he begin? What's the beginning of man? And uh, millions and millions of dollars are spent on that, along with trying to figure out the origin of the planets and the origin of the stars and the moon and sun and the galaxies and the origin of the universe. All the way trying to figure out the beginning, the beginning. Where did we come from? Well, that's not what John has in mind here when he said that which was from the beginning. There's basically two interpretations of this, and they are one that it refers to the pre-incarnate and eternal existence of Christ, declaring that He existed before He appeared on earth. The other is that it declares Christ from the time of His incarnation and after He became flesh, that is, from the beginning of the Gospel. So you have these two ideas, that which was from the beginning, and I would probably, if forced to uh, take a position, probably say that they're both is, are connected in into it, not one or the other. This phrase from the beginning is found nine times in seven verses and the context defines where that beginning is that is in this from in this gospel or this epistle this phrase in the beginning is found 40 times in 38 verses throughout the whole bible now i want us to look at some of these 
to show how that the beginning that is under consideration has to do with the context. In other words, uh, well, hopefully you'll see this as we go along. First of all, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11. That which was from the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, like I said, the context. You know, in other words, the statement from the beginning is not self-interpreted. You have to interpret it in light of the context, as we'll see throughout the Bible. Obviously, we're not going to look at the uh, all of the 40 times, uh, but we will look at a few. Deuteronomy 11. Well, let's just read verse 12. A land which the Lord thy God careth for, the eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year even to the end of the year. So here the context from the beginning has to do with just from year to year. No question about that. All right, Second Samuel chapter 21. I tried to be somewhat selective out of the 40 times it's used. Second Samuel chapter 21 verse 10. And Rispah Excuse me. And Rispah the daughter <coughs> Excuse me. And Rispah the daughter of Aya took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock from the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest upon them by day nor the beast of the field by night. But here the beginning is Obviously, the harvest, when they started harvesting. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Verse 21. Have ye not known... Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from beginning? From the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? And then in chapter 46 of Isaiah. In verse 10. Well, let's read verse 9. 
Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else, neither am uh, uh, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now, it's quite obvious from these two verses in Isaiah, the beginning here has to do with the beginning of creation. The beginning of creation. Luke chapter 1. You can see already that from what we've seen that the context is describing what the beginning is. Luke chapter 1, verse 2. Let's read verse 1. For as much as, as many have taken in hand to set forth in order to declare, excuse me, in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they deliver them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Lord, Here's the beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the gospel. John 6. The gospel of John. Chapter 6. Verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray Him. This might go back to eternity. Obviously, the Lord knew in eternity who would betray Him but it could go back to the beginning of the Gospel. John 15, verse 27, And ye also shall bear witnesses, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Obviously, that's the beginning of the Gospel. Acts 15. Acts 15. Verse 18. Known unto God are all His works from the beginning of the world. I don't think we need to interpret that one. Acts 26. And verse 5. Well, let's go back to verse 4. Paul's testifying before the Jews. My manner of life from my youth, 
which was at the first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. In other words, that's the beginning of Paul's religious life under the Old Testament prior, prior to his birth. New birth, excuse me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're about to get through all of these. Verse 9. To make all men see that which is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians 2.13 But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. In other words, that's like Ephesians 3.9. It has the beginning of eternity. And then, in Second John, Second John 5, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which ye had from the beginning, that we love one another. That's the beginning of the gospel. And then in 3 John 6, which have borne witness of thy charity before the congregation, whom if thou bring forward on that... Amen. Well, I've got the wrong verse. Beginning is not in Third John 6. Let me see. Well, I've got Third John 6, but I don't know. But I've got it down as the beginning of the gospel. But anyway, I've, I've given enough to show that when John said in his first epistle, that which was from the beginning has to do with reference to the beginning of not only the gospel, but also the beginning of all things. And the was is the imperfect tense. In other words, that which was to be. 
to help understand this better, uh, allow me to give a few things from a Greek grammar book by the title uh, A Manual of Greek Grammar by Dana, Mant- Dana and Manti. Manti. In other words, this was from the beginning is it in the imperfect active indicative. And therefore, from this, there are th- three fundamental tenses in Greek. You know, we have present, active, and passive in our English language. In Greek, you have the present, which is representing continuous action. If I say, I am throwing the ball, that's in the present tense. I am continually throwing the ball. The perfect represents completed action. I threw the ball. I did it. I'm not doing it now. The aorist represents indefinite action. In other words, the ball could have been thrown up to a period of time, or it might have been thrown at a period of time, or it might have started being thrown and is continually being thrown. Aorist has all of those connotations. Continuous action. Here, the principal sense is the present, which in the indicative is used primarily of present time. Continuous action in the past is devoted by the imperfect tense. In other words, that which was from the beginning, there was something that uh, is... uh, is present. Notice that. And is continuous. In other words, it's something that is continually, is present and continually taking place. Continuous action in the past is denoted by the imperfect tense. So that which was from the beginning, that which was an action that was taking place in the past, which I believe not only would be indicative of the gospel, but of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Webster quotes from a man by the name of Donaldson the following of the imperfect. The imperfect denotes an incomplete action, one that is in its course, something that's going on, and is not yet brought to its intended accomplishment. It implies that a certain thing was going on at a specific time, but excludes the assertion that the end of the action was attained. We wrote, we mentioned Weist this morning, another Greek commentator, 
Greek it's weist is spelled W-U-E-S-T. In the words from the, from the beginning, the writer looks back to the initial point of time and describes that as have, has been in existence from that point onward. In the words, it's looking back at something and it's been in existence from that time onward. I might say, uh, I was born August the 29th, 1944. So I look back to that time, and that time is con- in my life is continually going on. That which was from the beginning, something that started at a point and is continuing on. Thus, in the beginning, characterizes the, the absolute divine Word, that's Christ, as He was before the foundation of the world and at the foundation of the world. In other words, with Christ, He always had a beginning. He still is. He still is. Now think about that for just a moment. This is something that we cannot comprehend. These are profound thoughts. And when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and or the Gospel, John said that we are declaring this unto you in verse 3. The Gospel and the truth of Christ is not a proposition. It is not a supposition. We suppose that Jesus existed. It is not a philosophical declaration. You know, a philosophical declaration would be something like this. Nothing produces nothing. Something cannot come out of nothing. Therefore, something had to produce the universe. Whatever that something was is God. And so, that would be a a suppositional proposition based upon uh, some type of logic. But John said, we're declaring unto you Christ. We're not saying Jesus may have existed this way. 
He's not saying that the gospel is existing for someone to accept it or reject it. Jesus Christ is not set forth that you can either believe it or not believe it. It's set forth as a declaration. It's a fact. It's a fact. And in the day in which we live, nobody's supposed to have all the answers. My answer is just as good as yours. My opinion is just as good as yours. And so on. Well, according to the Word of God, it's not my answer. It's not your answer. It's the truth of the Scriptures. And anyone who denies the truth of the Scriptures is saying, God, you're a liar. And therefore I place this beginning, that which was from the beginning, with Genesis 1 1. In the beginning was the word, I mean, excuse me, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I place this in the beginning with John 1 verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And therefore, this, this in the beginning is that which we see here in these three verses. That which was from the beginning which we have heard. Whatever it was from the beginning, we heard it. We have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word of Life, that which was from the beginning, the Word of Life, the Son of the Father, Jesus Christ, the eternal Word. And you can see this same verb structure, that is the imperfect active indicative, third person singular. You can see that same construction in John 1. One, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We've been talking about that was all through here. Chapter 2, this is all from John chapter 1. The same was in the beginning with God. 
In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. That's in verse 4 of John 1. Verse 8, He was not that light. In other words, John the Baptist was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Verse 9, That was the true light, which, was, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. In other words, this same Greek grammatical construction of the, that which was from the beginning in 1 John 1, one, we find it in the Gospel of John uh, several times, and it has that same uh, Greek gr- grammatical construction. Which makes me believe that we're talking about this eternal Jesus Christ. In connection with this verb tense, it is not that which became. Notice it didn't say that which became from the beginning but that which was from the beginning. It was in the state of being. It was literally the I Am of Genesis 3.14. And Jehovah, not Genesis 3.14, excuse me, Exodus 3.14, and the Jehovah of Exodus 6.3. Let's look at those two verses. Exodus 3.14. In other words, I'm connecting this was from the beginning with the I Am. Exodus 3 verses 14 Well, let's read verse 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. In other words, there's no beginning, there's no ending. I am. I am yesterday. I am today. I am tomorrow. Thus shalt thou say unto the children I am, has sent me unto you. And then in Exodus chapter 6, Verse 3, And I appeared, God, God speaking to Moses, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. And if you'll go back, if you remember reading in the Old Testament, I mean in Genesis, it was the Almighty God that talked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. 
that which was from the beginning, the I Am, the Jehovah, Now we'll discuss the other in the beginnings in this epistle when we come to them. But here you see the Apostle John is introducing unto us the Creator of the universe. And that we might know this creator of the universe, and in knowing this creator of the universe, that we have fellowship with him and with the Father. Now, next Lord's Day afternoon. Our plan is to have the Lord's Supper. It's also called a communion service. You remember what the word communion means? It's the same as this word fellowship. Fellowship. Now, some of you of this congregation live together in the same apartment, share much of the same living room, have separate bedrooms, share the kitchen, share the heat, though there might be a distinction between what it ought to be set on at times. You share your uh, yourself with each other. You're living in communion with each other. You see each other. You hear each other. You touch each other. You have fellowship. John said we saw the Lord Jesus Christ. We handled Him. We heard Him. And we have fellowship with Him and with the Father. And I'm writing this to you that you might have fellowship with Christ and the Father. In fact, I'm, I'm preaching to you and I, as a minister, should be in such a position in my life that I can say, I have seen and heard and handled that you might have fellowship with me and fellowship with God.
I ask you, how much fellowship do you have with Christ and God? John was also writing to refute these people that said that the body is always sinful. The flesh is sinful. And if Jesus had a body of flesh like we do, then He was sinful. And therefore, Jesus didn't have a real body. He had what appeared to be a body. He was a phantom. But John said, we've handled him. We've touched him. He's real. They denied the humanity of Christ. John was saying that this word of life, this eternal life that was with the Father was manifested. What do we see in John 1.14? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You believe this? The eternal word was made flesh, was manifested. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Now, I'm not going to delve into the incarnation and the virgin birth of Christ and try to to explain how all of that happened. I can't. But it happened. How can a sinless being come out of a sinful being? How did Jesus Christ 
be born of sinful Mary and be sinless. Oh, I know that there are men and people that talk about the genetics of the X and Y chromosome and how sin is passed down from one to the other, but it's not through the other, and how that this way that Christ was uh, was born of woman, and therefore the sin nature didn't come through the woman, and that's just a bunch of of uh, medical jargon, as far as I'm concerned. You say, well, how did it happen? With God, all things are possible, and I have to leave it there. And so do you. But it happened. John says this eternal one that was in the beginning, we saw him. We heard him. We handled him. Hebrews 10. Verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. In verse 22. How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Now a new thing in the earth was not a woman having a man child. But this is talking of Christ. Galatians 4.4 4 says, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. Made under the law. John says, That which we have heard, that which we have heard. I've heard some things in my day. I've heard by tape. A famous sermon by R.G. Lee called Payday Someday. I've heard men like Martin Lloyd-Jones on tape or internet. But John heard Christ in person. He heard Him in person. They not only heard the voice from heaven declaring Him to be the Son of God, but they heard Him speak of Himself. 
They heard Him speak parables. They heard Him in sermons. They heard Him after the resurrection and before the ascension. I've got verses for this. Uh, time is run out and we'll take up here the next time. But they heard Him. They heard Him in person. I've heard some people in person in the past that are not here anymore. But they not only heard Him as we shall see, they saw Him. They handled Him. This is just as real as the pew in which you're sitting. Actually, it is more real. The pew in which you're sitting will burn up someday. He's eternal. May God bless us to behold Him by faith. as we continue studying this epistle. Let's pray. As much as we have tried to squeeze out all of the sweetness of the nectar of this truth, of the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems in our soul that all we've done is popped out a few seeds. Maybe some of the the nectar we've tasted but oh God, help us to drink it by the mouthfuls. That our souls might be quenched with the beauty of Christ. For it is in Him we pray. Amen.